This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy, and we are so happy to have you joining us today. Alicia, you are, as is your wont, bringing us back to old Hollywood? That I am. Hey, your friends, Alicia here, and it is time, finally, for America's sweetheart, the girl next door, with the most terrible picker and husbands, Doris Day. For all of the success in her career, her love life and her four marriages are all terrible. All terrible, each terrible in their own distinctive, terrible way. This story is so chock full of trashy. This episode is going to take Doris through her first two husbands, Al Jordan and George Weedler, a few love affairs before we bring Doris to hubby number three. Before we get started today, we do have some awesome folks in our magic mirror to thank. First up, big, huge thanks to the folks who left very kind Apple reviews. Jackson, JoJo, Mayor 1040, and Blue Rose Garden, y'all rock. Just a little trick here for those trash pandas who do listen on Apple. Be sure to resubscribe to Trashy Divorces and not miss a thing. Apple and its software updates made some shifts. So if you are missing episodes of Trashy Divorces, that might be why. Be sure to check your settings to never miss a moment. But that's not all. We have a few more folks in our Magic Mirror, our latest supporters over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Whose name do you see, Stacy? Ah, thank you so much for joining us. Christine M., Marie S., Theo P., Rayana J., and Patricia B. Huge thanks to you and all of our Patreon supporters getting ad-free and early episodes, dumpster dives, and spider webs too, in return for your kind support. Really grateful to all of you there and you for coming to listen Today, to this Trashy Divorces, it is a real sentimental journey this week with <laughs> she of the bad picker, Doris Day. <laughs> Stacy, I think we have to. Go, go, go. All right, Alicia, as we know, I am not an old Hollywood buff. You are... It's my favorite stuff. <laughs> Doris Day, she of the bad picker. Oh, God, she's got such a bad picker. Let me go ahead and give you a quick summary of where we're going to go with Doris Day and just kind of set the stage. For many years, Doris Day was considered America's sweetheart. She's epitomized as the quote-unquote girl next door. Her wholesome beauty and upbeat personality made her a top box office draw from the late 1950s to the late 1960s. But a lot of folks forget Doris Day was an incredibly talented singer in addition to her appeal in movies. She got her start in show business in film because of her beautiful voice and singing ability. Okay. One thing leads to another. Doris had a string of successful romantic comedies with some of Hollywood's ah, most desirable leading men. Let's take a look at that list. Clark Gable. Cary Grant, and of course, Rock Hudson. She was able, Doris was. She strikes the perfect balance of sex appeal and feminine chastity. 
for the audiences that were in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, super crucial, that balance. (laughs) So when we think about Doris Day, like she oozes purity and tradition, and she will offer a very notable contrast to the overtly sexual stars of the day, Jane Mansfield, Marilyn Monroe, Sophia Loren. Doris Day is the antithesis to that sex pot image. But again, this almost too good to be true image to Doris was really tiresome because it's lies. It's all <laughs> lies. In her 1976 memoir, she writes, I'm tired of being thought of as Miss Goody Two-Shoes. I'm not the all-American virgin queen, and I'd like to deal with the true, honest story of who I really am. Hmm. For all of the success that Doris had in her professional life, lasting love eluded her in her personal life. Married four times. Even in her later years, Doris noted that beyond anything else in the whole world, all she wanted was a stable and loving home. She'll say, I'm still Doris Marianne Kappelhoff from Cincinnati. All I ever wanted to do was get married, have a nice husband, have two or three children, have a nice house and cook. I ended up in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) The first major step on her way to Hollywood was in 1945 when she releases the smash hit, sentimental journey sure it became a wartime anthem and put doris day on the map to stardom after that she appeared in several films as a singer it was in 1948 when she was cast in the film romance on the high seas (laughs) why was she cast director michael curtis said quote her freckles make her look like the all-american girl unquote and here Doris Day's official movie star status begins. The pinnacle of her real success in Hollywood was between 1959 and 1965. She was the biggest box office draw in America. Her risque for the time sex comedies, I say that in parentheses, with Rock Hudson, right? Because sex comedies. Sure. Yeah. Made both screen idols America's favorite movie couple. And it was the combination of this female purity along with strong sexual appeal that defined Doris's Hollywood image. But as her real life story proves, again, that is not how Doris was in reality. Film critic Pauline Kael called the actress's film formula, quote, the Doris Day routine of flirting with bed but never getting there, unquote. It was somewhat of a cultural joke that everyone in Hollywood was in on, but that the American public bought hook, line, and sinker. Groucho Marx joked, I've been around so long I knew Doris Day before she was a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. In 1968, Doris moves to Carmel, California to live a quieter lifestyle and focus on her real passion, Animal Rescue. Hmm. So nice. In 1975, Doris retires from show business entirely and becomes a full-time animal rights activist. Good for her. Doris was also very committed in HIV AIDS research. She becomes an activist after losing her close friend Rock Hudson to AIDS in 1985. Previous TD alum we talked about not too long ago. 
Yeah, I guess Elizabeth Taylor gets the spotlight on that, but good to hear. Doris Day as committed. In 1998, Doris starts the Doris Day Animal Foundation and pretty much keeps herself busy with her charitable works. But even then, she'll admit sometimes she missed acting. She'll say to be in films when I think about that. I thought I should have stayed because I loved that so much. But there were all kinds of new people coming up. And I thought, I've done mine. I've had a great time. So now it's their turn. Doris's fourth and final marriage ended in 1982. Doris will remain unmarried until her death in 2019. Apparently, four husbands were enough for her. I somehow missed that Doris Day was alive until 2019. Yeah. Wow. But again, four husbands. Sure. Bad picker. Sure. Four husbands would be enough. Something Doris told her biographer and co-author A. E. Hotchner, with whom she published Doris Day, her own story in 1976, sums up her story, I think, more than anything anyone else has ever written about her. She'll say, My public image is unshakably that of America's wholesome virgin, the girl next door, carefree and brimming with happiness, an image I can assure you more make-believe than any film part I ever played. Doris's inability to have a successful marriage and lasting love is one that is not uncommon with those in Hollywood, but Doris will once herself ask a question that probably sums up what she and many other celebrities have asked themselves over the years. If so many people love me, why am I all alone? Hmm. Let's get in to Doris Day, who starts out as Doris Marianne Kappelhoff. April the 3rd, 1922, she is an Aries girl. So she was very nearly 100 years old when yeah. she passed. Wow. Doris Day is a legend. Sure. For Hollywood and all of her movies, but a legend in my heart for her trashy picker. Oh my. <laughs> Doris Marianne is born in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. Her father... Frederick Wilhelm von Kappelhoff wow. was a music teacher and a choir master. Doris's mother, Alma Sophia Wells, was a homemaker who strongly encouraged her daughter's talents. Doris was even named after one of her mother's favorite silent film movie actresses, Doris Kenyon. Hmm. When Doris was 10, her parents, Frederick Wilhelm right. and Alma, divorced. And that would be something to say, but I want to give you a little bit of a reason for perhaps why the divorce happened. <laughs> I don't think her parents, uh, I don't think Doris's upbringing provided necessarily her with a great model for what a happy marriage should be. Her dad, mm -hmm. Frederick <laughs> Wilhelm, Frederick Wilhelm, was strict and he was pretty cold. But beyond that, he pretty much blatantly cheated on Doris's mom. Oh, wow. Doris's biographer, David Kaufman, who writes Doris Day, The Untold Story of the Girl Next Door, writes about Frederick Wilhelm, her father. He would pass through Doris's bedroom with her mother's best friend. They would go into the next room and make love, and Doris could hear it. Oh, my God. Who does that to a little girl? I... <sighs> It's no surprise that Doris lives with her mother mm. afterward. <laughs> wow. 
I'm just going to go cheat on your mom with her best friend and do it like, walking through your bedroom? In front of her face, apparently. Wow. So maybe not real happy Imago to base a healthy relationship on for yeah. Doris. Okay, so Doris naturally <laughs> living with her mom. And little Doris, she's a talented dancer as a child. And as a young teen, she performs locally. But when Doris was 15, she was in a terrible car accident hmm. where the car she was riding in was struck by a train. Oh, my God. Her right leg was shattered. Oh, and my God. Doris is unsure at this time if she'd ever be able to walk correctly again, let mm. alone dance. Like, nobody's even thinking about dancing. Sure. Will I be able to walk? So, I don't know, one door closes, a window opens. While recovering from her shattered leg injuries, Doris listens to the radio a lot. And as she's listening to the radio, she starts to sing. And boy, can she. <laughs> Doris's mom realizes that, whoa, Doris can really sing. Like, she knows what. Like, okay, so let's get her a little training. Mama takes... Doris to a voice coach whose name is Grace Rain. Grace Rain is so impressed with Doris's natural singing abilities that she tells Doris's mom that she'll give Doris three lessons a week for the price of one. Wow. You don't even need to strap yourself financially, mom. You pay me for one lesson. I'm going to give her three. That's a, that's big. For the rest of her life, mm -hmm. Doris Day would credit Grace Rain with being the major influence on her singing style and having absolutely the greatest impact on her success in her career. Sure. Had to be a huge confidence boost to have, you know, the local professional be like, no, kid, you've got it. Three for one. Yeah. Just be here. <laughs> be here at three o'clock Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's just incredible. So Doris, three lessons for the price of one starts to perform with a local band leader. His name is Barney Rapp. When they're working together, Barney Rapp suggests that Doris adopt a stage name because Doris Kappelhoff That's a lot. took up too much space on the marquee. That's a lot, yeah. Barney Rapp had also changed his last name. He was Rappaport, mm -hmm. but now he's Barney Rapp. So Barney Rapp suggests the last name Day because he loves her rendition of the song Day After Day. Yeah. Doris Kappelhoff is now Doris Day, and she is 16 years old when she starts performing with bands and clubs, but everybody had to lie and say she was 18 so the clubs would let her in. Sure. Origin story. <laughs> they would perform six nights a week starting in the early evening, not ending until 2 a.m., Wow. Doris would later tell a journalist about being so young, performing with professional bands in nightclubs. She'll say, I looked pretty poised on the outside, but I wasn't so poised on the inside. Between sets, I'd dash out to the powder room and cry all over the attendant. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough trying to act grown up when you don't know how. Yeah. Isn't that a line? It's tough trying to act grown up when you don't know how. Soon, though, Doris is performing on local radio stations. She was then hired by Les Brown to join his band. Big deal, Les Brown. With the Les Brown band and Doris's time there, Doris will meet her first two husbands there. 
Not great. Not great. But the great part, it was the launching point of her career. Sure. She had all the makings of a star. Les Brown says of Doris Day, she was every band leader's dream. A vocalist who had natural talent, a keen regard for the lyrics, and an attractive appearance. Doris Day would have not one but two stints with the Les Brown band. She will rejoin his band after her first divorce. After a few hit records with the band, Doris gets a contract with Columbia Records in 1947 and goes solo. That's setting the stage. We're going to take a quick break here Hmm. and come back with Doris's first marriage to Al Jordan, the psychopathic sadist. (sighs) I'm not making those words up. That's how Doris describes him. Oh, wow. All right. We will see you on the flip. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, psychopathic sadist, is that how she described her first husband? That's it. The, sorry, the oh. psychopathic sadist sure. is the title that Doris Day used to describe her first husband. After hearing about his behavior, I think maybe all of you will understand why. Hmm. Easy to understand. It is sad that Doris Day's first marriage was extremely emotionally and physically abusive. Doris meets Al when she was just 16 and singing with Barney Rapp's band. Al Jordan was the trombonist. He is 23. She is 16. At first, Doris doesn't really like Jordan. When he asks her out, she refuses. In fact, she'll go back and tell her mother, he's a creep, and I wouldn't go out with him even if they were giving away gold nuggets at the movie. (laughs) Wow. Go with the first impression, Doris. It's such a grooming kind of situation. He's 23, she's 16. Al is persistent. And eventually, Doris either saw something in him she liked, or he just wore her down. At first, Doris allowed him to drive her home after performances, but that turned into them getting to know each other better, and then they soon started dating. Oh, Al. Oh, Al Jordan. Moody and often unpleasant which is, I don't know, a red flag enough when you're dating. Mm -hmm. But Doris doesn't really know how awful Al could be until after she had already married him. By the time Doris agreed to marry Al, she was already on her way to becoming a star. But Doris, she'd always wanted to be a wife and mother, 
and have what she believed she wanted to call a quote-unquote normal life. So she decided to leave her blossoming singing career behind. Give it all up. Yeah. Normal life. Yeah. Happy husband, happy family. It's what you do in the 40s, I guess. The marriage was nothing short of disastrous. Mm -hmm. It didn't take long for Doris to realize that the man she met was physically and emotionally abusive. He was violent with her for the first time just two days after the wedding. I... I hate to hear it. You want to know what happened for that to prompt that violence? I'm sure something super serious. A bandmate Mm -hmm. gave them a wedding present. And Doris was like, thanks, bandmate, and Uh, kissed him on the cheek mm -hmm. as a thank you. Mm -hmm. Like, thanks for the gift. And Al took her home and beat her. Another abusive incident happened when they were walking by a newsstand in New York and noticed a magazine cover featuring Doris in a swimsuit. In addition to slapping Doris multiple times, called her a quote-unquote dirty whore so many times that she lost count, according to Doris. She later described it in this way in her book, Doris Day, Her Own Story. (laughs) It just doesn't get any more clear than this. Quote-unquote, I was married at 17 to a psychopathic sadist. That's, uh... Now, just as a note here, there are varying accounts of her birth year. And later in life, Doris Day admitted herself to being unsure of which year was actually accurate. So sometimes it's reported that she was 19 when she married for the first time. But jury's kind of out on all of that. When Jordan got jealous over a gift, Doris was given by a man she worked with. Doris Day writes... The minute we walked into our apartment, he spun me around and hit me in the face. I put up my hands to protect myself, but he hit me again and again, knocking me into the furniture and against the wall. All the while, he was yelling at me in uncontrollable rage. You tramp. You called that a wife? Running up those stairs so all the men could take a good look up your skirt? Wow. Psychopathic sadist. Sure. Doris Day later recounts, What had been represented to me as love emerged as jealousy, a pathologic jealousy that was destined to make a nightmare out of the next few years of my life. Oh, that's so sad. Doris, not an idiot, realizes she wants a divorce Mm. as soon as she figures out what a nightmare Al is. Oh, God. Tale as old as time. Two months into their marriage, Doris discovers that... He's having an affair? No. Oh, she's pregnant. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. It was going to be one of the two. Al wanted Doris to have an abortion, but she refused. And Doris's refusal to terminate the pregnancy infuriated Al so much that he attempted to induce a miscarriage by beating her. Good Lord. The beatings escalated and intensified throughout the pregnancy, culminating in Al Jordan threatening to kill her, the baby, and himself. Is she not able to go home to her mother? I mean, like, not victim blaming here, just genuinely asking. Wow. It's a bad first marriage. They're all pretty bad, to be fair, but this one, pretty bad. Yeah, horrifyingly bad. Despite all of that, Doris Day gives birth to her son, February 8th, 1942. 
She named him Terry Paul Jordan. Things do not get better once that baby was born. Doris decided that she had to leave Al when he would beat her up for getting up to care for the baby in the nighttime. Oh, my God. This guy, I hope he ended his days in prison or something. Doris Day files for divorce when she is barely 18 years old and the mother of an infant. So Doris, in order to support herself and her young son, Terry, goes back to singing and acting. And fortunately, hooray, Mm -hmm. she's really successful right away. She rejoins the Les Brown band. (laughs) Minus Al, I guess. Minus Al. And her songs are way more popular than they'd been before. That son that she has without Jordan Terry, his name would be changed when Doris marries her third husband, Marty Melcher. He is no longer Terry Jordan. He will be Terry Melcher. A year after that divorce, what happens with Al? He is diagnosed with schizophrenia. Okay, I mean, does not absolve any of his behavior, but uh, I guess that's an explanation, maybe. Al Jordan will die by suicide in 1967. Okay, not loving that either. This is really not great. You said this was a great story. It's trashy. (laughs) The name is Trashy Divorces, babe. Yeah. This isn't run through the meadows of happy marriage time. This sure. is this trashy divorces. No, that's all just tough. Okay. But it, in the effort of trashy divorces is one of my favorite parts about the story. When Doris Day hears of her first husband's death, she says she shed no tears. Mm. Later in her life, Doris Day was very quick to look on the bright side and said that she could not regret marrying Al Jordan saying, if I hadn't married this bird, I wouldn't have my terrific son, Terry. So out of this awful experience came Mm -hmm. something wonderful. Yeah. Once she divorced Al Jordan, Doris left her young son with Mama and returned to touring with the Les Brown Band. It's probably a good time to take another break here before we get to marriage number two. This one Doris describes as the young, jealous philanderer. Oh, excellent traits there. Bad picker, that's what I'm saying. Yep, we'll be right back. The young, jealous philanderer. Oh, yeah. You say. On March the 30th, 1946, Doris married saxophonist George Weedler. George had been a child actor. And Doris met George the same way she had met Al Jordan. He was also a musician in the Les Brown Band. Now, Doris and George behave in a way that is considered very scandalous for the time when they share hotel rooms Mm. before they're married. Les Brown, band leader, desperately tries to talk Doris out of marrying George Weedler, but Les Brown was unsuccessful. Unfortunately, it doesn't take Doris too long to realize (laughs) that maybe she should have listened. She would later write in her memoir when reflecting on this marriage, I should have worn black. (laughs) Wow. Now, George Weedler, to be fair, was not violent or cruel to Doris, but George was also not ready for marriage or fatherhood. Doris Day says, if we had taken the time to get acquainted, instead of falling into each other's arms, our marriage might have been successful. 
And although Doris announces when she gets married to George Weedler that she was going to quit singing Again. and be a full-time wife and mother. Have we learned nothing? This did not happen because Doris had already agreed to appear on Bob Hope's radio program. This is the Pepsodent show. And Doris doesn't want to break her commitment. And she was kind of excited because the Pepsodent show was an enormous sure. deal. What? And Doris Day goes on in her performance. Big hit. And it turns out that Bob Hope wants Doris Day to come back. And real soon and soon, Doris Day has become a regular guest on the popular radio show. In Richard Zoglin's biography of Bob Hope, titled Hope, Entertainer of the Century, Zoglin discusses the many flings that Hope had. Many would have been surprised at the time that one of the women he was having an affair with was America's sweetheart herself, Doris Day, in 1949. Doris Day never acknowledged their relationship as anything other than professional. Whether it was only professional or not, Bob Hope would become a large part, enormous part, of Doris Day's success. Bob Hope, oh boy, <laughs> is the one who introduces Doris to her first agent, Al Levy. Al Levy was the man responsible for getting Doris noticed and cast. Al Levy believed that Doris's talents were being wasted as a band and radio singer, and Al Levy feels like Doris has got some real potential here to be a movie star, and he's not wrong. Al Levy also had another thing in his machinations here. He was determined to get Doris away from George. Mm. For himself or? Mm, yeah. Okay. Al was successful in that pursuit as well, but it wasn't really difficult because George was not interested in being what he called Mr. Doris Day. Hmm. So some jealousy. So he's not a psychopathic sadist, but George is jealous of what a big star Doris had become. In addition to being kind of a jealous little petty crocker, George becomes unfaithful and having affairs only months into their marriage. Good sign. Good sign for a long, smooth ride through marital bliss. George leaves Doris after only eight months wow. of marriage. <laughs> but he would be back. Hold on to that. Because what does Doris do with herself? Doris is going to put herself in the Hollywood party scene. Mm -hmm. She'll do this. Using Al Levy, her bisexual agent, hmm. kind of as a date, when she needs one. And here, Al Levy is going to introduce Doris sure. Day to the producer who will hire her to appear in Romance on the High Seas in 1948, where she sings her signature tune, It's Magic. But the thing I need you to know is throughout the majority of their marriage, George Weedler and Doris Day live apart and were estranged. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay. In 1948, while filming Romance on the High Seas, Doris Day and her co-star, Jack Carson, begin seeing each other. Yes, Doris is still technically married to George, but they had long been separated by that point. Many folks suspect that Doris Day will end up marrying Jack Carson. They both had been married twice already, and Doris this time is a little reluctant to jump into another marriage. Wisely. 
But alas, George comes back like a dog after a long bad night. <laughs> I don't That's know. It's not even a metaphor. I know. I just, I don't like this story is terrible. A bad penny is what you're going for, okay, I think. George shows up like a long bad penny out roaming in the night. No, he shows up begging Doris for forgiveness. Doris, you have to take me back. Why does Doris have to take George back? Is he pregnant? He's found religion. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm not sure which is worse. During their separation, (laughs) George had become a passionate Christian scientist. Oh, wow. Not only does he persuade Doris to reunited and all that, but he persuades Doris to join the religion as well. (laughs) Doris becomes a Christian scientist. George and Doris reunite briefly, but they are finally divorced in 1949. But there's more to that story. Okay. So let's talk about Al Levy, the quote-unquote stalking agent. This story just gets more nefarious. Uh, It really does. With Doris carrying on her romance with co-star Jack Carson, Doris was actually cheating on Jack Carson. I mean, she's married. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's a circle of cheating. What do we call this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So she's carrying on her romance with Jack Carson. Doris is actually cheating with her estranged husband, George Weedler. So whenever George's band is performing in town, George and Doris would meet up for sexual encounters. But it gets more complicated than that. Because Jack and George are not the only ones Doris was sleeping with at the time. Doris also started an affair with her bisexual agent, Al Levy. Okay. Busy lady. When George begged for Doris to take him back, Doris tells Al Levy, that she had enjoyed their little fling, but she was going to give her marriage another try. And Al was just going to have to be satisfied to be your agent. Al Levy does not like that idea at all. So Al decides to come up with a new plan. And that new plan is to stalk Doris Day. Al Levy would show up wherever she was and then follow her out of town. Oh God. If she was traveling with George or Jack. Doris had even been warned by her director, Michael Curtis, that he believed Al Levy was becoming obsessed with her. But Doris just kind of skip skippity. She Mm -hmm. didn't pay too much attention to the warning at the time. Now, Doris, if you have this many men in your life warning you about other men. Right. Maybe you take heed. Just, yeah, start listening. When the men around you that know you are giving you gifts... Filled with red flags Mm -hmm. and warnings. Maybe take that, but Doris does not. (sighs) Now, this is just such like, you want to turn these people into Muppets. So like imagine Al Levy sitting in hotel lobbies with big glasses, hiding behind newspapers, spying on Doris on film sets, watching her from the gantry. He's the guy in the trench coat in the newspapers, like, stalking her everywhere she goes. Eventually, it escalates to a point of Al Levy following Doris into a hotel elevator and forcing himself then into her hotel room with her. Once in her hotel room, he, quote, turned off the lights, forced her onto the bed, and hurled himself on her, unquote. 
Fortunately, this time she was able to get him off of her when she confronted him. Al, Levy cries uncontrollably and declares his undying love for her and begs Doris to marry him. According to author Eric Braun in his biography titled Doris Day, Al Levy suggested that if Doris slept with him, she would alter her mind. And nothing she could say seemed to convince him that physical love and least of all marriage was totally out of the question. Obviously, their professional relationship had to end. You think? (laughs) As well as any personal ties they had. So Doris goes to Al Levy's partners at Century Artists. I need to have a meeting. Let's Mm -hmm. take a meeting. I need a new agent. Mm -hmm. And Al's partner, Marty Melcher, uh, was willing to become Doris's new agent. Okay, this is too too complicated. No. Too too complicated. It's not. It's not. Okay, so. There are triangles within triangles in this story. I told you, trashy on brand. So Century Artist sends Al Levy out to New York. So Mm -hmm. Al Levy is no longer a problem for Doris Day. Doris Day has a new manager, a new agent, Marty Melcher. This will also be Doris Day's third husband. Yeah, picked that up. But that's not going to happen until the next episode. (laughs) So I want to, we're doing two and two, but I want to go in and talk about some of this time for Doris Day, and let's dispel this myth that she was a goody-goody. I think we've done that, but go ahead. I just want to make sure the point is clear. So let's talk about all the lovers of Doris Day in this time, including one former president, Ronald Reagan. Hmm. So let's back up the bus. In 1949, George is out, at least on paper, and Doris Day will pick right back up, falling for her co-stars. One of those is, <laughs> in 1950's Storm Warning, this guy Steve Cochran plays her husband in this film. And Steve Cochran comes on really strong the night they meet. Steve Cochran is a notorious womanizer nicknamed in Hollywood, Mr. King Size. Oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> so Joan Crawford herself believes that Steve Cochran belongs to her, to Joan Crawford, Mm. and would always hate Doris Day for stealing her man. Yeah, little things. Okay, but that storm warning film, big deal. Doris just can't help it. During the filming of this 1950 film, Doris also started an affair with her co-star, Ronald Reagan. But again, Reagan's not her only lover at the time. David Brett writes in Doris Day, Reluctant Star. Around this time, Doris was certainly burning the candle at both ends with lovers. Reagan had recently divorced Jane Wyman and was Mm -hmm. also playing the field. With Weedler and Cochran, it was rough and ready sex. With Carson, it was therapeutic. He was helping her to cut down on her three-packs-a-day smoking habit, And she, in turn, was trying to prevent him from drinking himself to death. Okay, let's start a sordid sex affair. So I smoke less and you drink less. Right, Therapeutic therapy. I mean, sure. (laughs) David Brett continues, She reckoned that two things impressed her about Reagan, his skill on the dance floor, 
and his intellect and ability to have a decent conversation. The two would sneak off to his apartment, high in the Hollywood Hills, and make love while marveling at the panoramic view below. That Hollywood apartment was located in the famous Garden of Allah. Ah. It all comes together. Sure. And just like Doris Day, Ronald Reagan also had many, many lovers. Mm -hmm. Lana Turner was one of those lovers. And later, Lana Turner spills the beans on Reagan's talents and stamina in the bedroom. In his book, Love Triangle, Ronald Reagan, Jane Wyman, and Nancy Davis, authors Darwin Porter and Danforth Prince write that Reagan, quote, suffered from what he jokingly referred to as leading lady itis, unquote. <laughs> now, I remember when we covered him that he had a lot going on in that period when he was single between his two marriages. Leading lady itis. Yep. Apparently, Lana Turner called Ronald Reagan a quote-unquote 40-minute man. Contrasting that with John F. Kennedy being called a quote-unquote four-minute man. Interesting. In her memoir, Doris Day said about Ronald Reagan, <laughs> I was seeing several men. Jack Carson, occasionally my ex-husband, George Weedler, when his band was in town, and Ronald Reagan, with whom I made two movies. I had met Ronald Reagan through mutual friends from New York who had come out to Los Angeles to live. Ronnie had recently been divorced from Jane Wyman, and he lived alone in an apartment high above Sunset Strip. There were two things about Ronnie that impressed me. How much he liked to dance, and how much he liked to talk. <laughs> Ronnie is really the only man I've ever known who loved dancing. He danced well, and he had a pleasant personality, so I invariably enjoyed going out with Ronnie. Ronald Reagan even tells his friends that he is planning on proposing oh, wow. to Doris Day. His friend George Murphy apparently replies that Doris Day would be the perfect wife for him, saying if people get bored with your long-winded political speeches, <laughs> she can just turn up and sing. In Porter and Prince's book, they describe Ronald Reagan's intense bachelor ways after his divorce from Jane Wyman and exactly how many starlets he entertained in his villa at the Garden of Allah. In Kitty Kelly's biography of Nancy Reagan, she claims that he slept with so many women that Ronald Reagan told a friend, I woke up one morning and I couldn't remember of the name of the gal I was in bed with. For whatever reason... Ronald Reagan never followed through on his plan to propose to Doris Day. The two remained good friends. And that, my darlings, brings this episode to 1950-1951 with Doris Day getting a new manager, Marty Melcher, soon-to-be third husband. Mm -hmm. Again, bad, bad picker. <laughs> you thought part one was trashy. Wait for part two, concluding this weekend in our Hot Trash Season 21 of Trashy Divorces. All right, Alicia, I am almost frightened to ask what the trash cans are with this one, and this is just part one. It's all pretty terrible, right? If your first husband you describe as a psychopathic sadist, yeah. like physical and emotional abuse is bad, never I good. I feel like he gets a lot of trash cans. 
jealous philanderer. I mean, George, he's not great either. There's a few there too. A lot of trashy in this story. And I hate to tell you, we're only just warming it up for next week. I do hope you come on back for next week's conclusion of Doris Day with husbands three and four and the rest of the story and financial swindling and so many dogs, so, so many dogs and spider webs too. That's going to come for you Sunday. In the meantime, be sure to check out patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Always available if you're looking for more trashy content in your heart. And it's always worth the mention, Stacy. We drop the podcast Trashy Royals every Thursday anywhere you listen. If you are looking for a little podcast love that day, we are currently rolling through the Mountbatten family. Little famous name there. It's its own brand of trashy fun. And if you're looking for a little something on Monday, don't forget, done and done is the thing. There's always something going on around here. And, and, everybody, don't forget, you got a few more weeks to send Mm -hmm. in your who's going to break up in 2024 predictions. Stacey, you're working hot on this spreadsheet. The spreadsheet is expanding by the day. Uh, Yeah, send your top three picks of celebrity couples who are doomed to fail in 2024. If they do break up, we're going to send out little prize packs, some stickers, stuff like that. So where do people need to send their predictions? Good, good, good ask. <laughs> that should be to trashy divorces. At like G- an old podcaster coming home from a long day. Send your, <laughs> send your, <laughs> send your predictions to trashy divorces at gmail.com. And also just shouting out, check us out on Cameo. If you need some kind of personalized video message. Because we just like an, like an old dog coming home on a cameo. Y'all, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in, for telling your friends about Trashy Divorces, for your kind emails, your reviews, until we meet again for the conclusion of Doris Day. Keep your hands clean and warm. Keep your hearts trashy and warm. Mm-hmm. Big love, everybody. Have a great rest of the week. Drip those taps. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.